Well, this morning, folks, I uh, asked the Lord what He would have me to say to you. And He directed me to Ephesians. So, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Ephesians, chapter 1. With the emphasis that we've had all morning on this concept of grace, I, would have, I was thinking that we, I was going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, but the Lord actually had me go uh, earlier than that in the, chapter, in the book, in chapter 1. And so if you would read with me, I want to read, it's, it's, it's a little bit lengthy, but that's okay. I want to read from verse 3 of chapter 1 all the way to verse 23. And if you'll just follow along, we're going to just take, a, take it apart a little bit this morning before we uh, head on to the rest of our day and our week. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I could stop there. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has given freely in the name given freely given us, I'm sorry, freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength 
which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That is a mouthful of words. And that passage from chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through to 23, is one sentence in the original language. Paul got a little excited. Can you imagine being the scribe who had to sit there and write that? Because Paul was just going on and on and on and on. There was no punctuation. Stop, Paul! But the thing that's so cool, and, and there's too much, there's way too much to spend 10 or 15 or 20 minutes and try and pull all of it out. But I want to pull a few things out. And that's the reason I asked you to keep your Bible open because we're going to need to, to compare notes a little bit. First of all, in... Verse uh, 13 and 14. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is a, who is a guarantee depositing, excuse me, a guarantee, let me pull it back up, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. In other words, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God came right here into your heart, into your, into your life. And it is the Holy Spirit is present for a number of reasons, which we could go on and on and on about, talking about leading us into all truth, opening up our hearts and minds, giving us the words to say when we need to say them, helping us to pray when we don't know how to pray, all of these things. But one of the things that the Holy Spirit does not so much as an action, but just as a, be, as a presence of the Holy Spirit's being in your life, is it is a promise or a deposit. Okay? When you enter into a legal contract with someone to rent a home, make a purchase, usually you make a down payment. If you go, enter into a, a, a home purchase situation, there's usually... A, an amount of money that you give up front that they hold on to that locks in the deal for you and locks everyone else out as having an opportunity to buy. Okay? It's earnest money. If you, if you renege and pull out of the deal, you usually don't get your earnest money back. That's not what this is talking about. It's beyond that. It is a, a promise from God that there is going to be this incredible, glorious, fabulous, wonderful, beyond ex explaining life for you. And the only thing I can do to tell you how wonderful it's going to be is to give you just a tiny little glimpse of it by giving you the presence of my spirit so you can communion with my spirit daily. And this is a, a deposit, if you will. This is, a, this is just a foretaste what it's going to be like when you get up here. How glorious it will be. How wonderful it will be. And this is not something I'm going to take back from you. This is forever. My presence with you forever. 
This is what it is. And so this idea, it's until we're redeemed, until we are brought into the presence of God forever, while we are still in this dispensation, in this age, the presence of God is with us as a deposit, guaranteeing to us. See, when the enemy tries to say to you, is it real? Oh, yes, it's real. How do you know it's real? Because the presence of the Holy Spirit of God is right here, and he makes it real if nothing else makes it real. That's how I know it's real. The presence of God. Well, you can't fail him all the time, can you? No, but I can know by faith that he's never left me. I can know by faith, by the word of God, it says when I came into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit of God was given to me by the Father as a guarantee, a deposit, giving me a taste of what was coming. So when the enemy tries to steal your joy, when the enemy tries to throw doubt into your face, tries to distract you, if nothing else, if nothing else, you can hold on to this promise The Holy Spirit of God is present with me because the Father gave him to me as a deposit on the contract that he has with me. That someday, when I get up there, I've got all of them. But for right now, this this is the relationship that we can enjoy and have with us. Do you realize, this is what David was saying in that Psalm 84 about the sparrows and about the swallows. Can you imagine if you had the privilege of being in the presence of the Almighty 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Wouldn't that be glorious? I mean, David was pretty lucky himself because he lived right next door to the tabernacle. It literally says when, when the baby died that Bathsheba and he had conceived together and the baby died, what did it say? David washed his face, put on good clothes and walked next door to the tabernacle and got on his face before God and worshipped. Okay, so David lived right next door to the church, kind of like me. He had the opportunity and the privilege of being able to be in the presence of God, but he still had to go home. David said the swallows are so lucky they get to build their nest right there. They can be in the presence of God anytime they want. That's what we have, folks. David didn't have the presence of the Holy Spirit 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But since Christ came, remember in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus, just before he's ascended, says, Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you've been endued with power from on high, because the power of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of God's Spirit on the church, will happen. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, wasn't just for those 120 in the upper room. That was for everyone who names Jesus as their Savior. You get the presence of God right there with you, and it never leaves. So from the day you came into relationship with God through Jesus Christ to this very moment, and all the way up until the moment you die, you will have the presence of God as a guarantee that you are in right relationship with Him, And that there's this incredible blessing coming your way. But then let's look at verse 17. Paul says as he's praying for the Ephesians. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious Father may give you. What does your verse say in your Bible? Chapter 1, verse 17. 
I pray, keep asking that the God of our Lord, I'm reading right now out of the New International Version. I have various translations on my iPad, but I wanted to hear what you guys have. I keep asking that the God of our Father, excuse me, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you what? What? Say it again. Does it say a spirit or the spirit or what? The spirit. Anybody else? The spirit? A spirit. Spiritual wisdom. Anybody else? Anything different? How many of you in your translation is the word spirit small case? How many of you in your translation is this word spirit large case? Okay. What? What are they talking about? See, our English language is so crappy. Excuse the language, but it is. It cannot effectively translate the original language, the Greek. The original language Greek, the word that's here is the word pneuma. And pneuma can mean breath, it can mean spirit. And a lot of times it means the Holy Spirit of God. And so scholars will then look at the context of a sentence or, a, or what's called a pericope, which is this 30 through 23 thought, okay? And say, okay, what is, the, what is the author of this thought trying to say? Because this is not real clear in its context. Is it talking about a spirit of? Is it talking about spiritual insight? Is it talking about the actual Holy Spirit? And I will tell you, yes. Because scholars cannot agree. I will tell you that the reading that I did, I personally think, now who am I? Because I don't have no stuff behind my name. Oh, wait a minute, I do. So I got a little bit of authority to say this. I'm not a theologian, but I got some education. I believe what I'm reading here is it says the Holy Spirit of God. Who will bring revelation to you and wisdom of wisdom? Wisdom and revelation to you. Why? Because I read a very compelling argument in one of the books that I have. And so I'm not saying that I'm the one that has the authority, but I was reading somebody who is a, a, a theologian, and what he said was go down another verse. And it says, not another verse, but to the end of the verse. I keep asking that the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and what? Un- understanding? What does yours say? Revelation? What, is your, what does anybody else's say? Insight. Wisdom, understanding, insight, revelation. See, that's another word that's kind of hard for the translators. It's a Greek word called apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. Does anybody recognize that sound at all? The name of the book of the last book of the New Testament is the Apocalypse of John. The Revelation of John. The Apocalypse is the revealing of something. Okay? So how can... I have spiritual wisdom. I can have that. Can I have spiritual understanding? Yes. Can I have spiritual revelation in and of myself? I can't reveal to myself anything. 
Revelation comes from outside of me into me. Yes? So if Paul is saying, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great Father, will give you a spiritual revelation, that spiritual revelation would be from outside of me. Therefore, it comes from the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? We're mincing and parsing words at this point, and it's really not super important to the point that I want to make, but I wanted you to understand the background here, okay? The point of this is that Paul is saying, I'm praying God does something in you. I'm praying that the Father does some really cool stuff in you because I want to see you succeed. I want to see you blessed. If you look at the book of Ephesians, which we're not going to do a study in Ephesians, but if you look at the book of Ephesians, the whole point of Ephesians is love. You need to be intentional about loving. You need to be intentional about not losing your love for God, and you need to love the people of this earth. What did Paul say? Um, where was it? In the very first part of it. Verse 15. Um, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. He, he, remember I said last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, we have to have a relationship between us and God that is right, which is vertical. This is the faith. And we have to have a relationship with the people of this earth, which is love. And so we have to have love and faith with God, and we have to have love on the earth to have a right relationship with God. And Paul is saying, I hear that you guys are living that. But if you were to go to Revelations chapter 2, verse whatever it is, uh, you don't have to turn there. But the seven, ch- seven churches of the book of Revelation, Paul writes, I mean, God writes to um, the book of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, and he says, I have one thing against you. You've walked away from your first love. See, the book of Ephesians was written to the church of Ephesians because there was a potential for them to walk away from their love. And there was this emphasis from the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul to the church saying, you need to love, you need to love, you need to love. And it ended up that Jesus himself said through the Apostle John in the Revelation, I have one thing against the church at Ephesus, and that's that they've walked away from their first love. That's the reason Paul wrote the book, was so that they wouldn't walk away from their love, and they ended up that they did anyway. But the point is, I'm just giving you stuff that I've really enjoyed while I was studying. But the point of all of this is God wants us to understand that God reveals something to us. He gives us wisdom, he gives us revelation. Why? So we can know him better. And then verse 18 Paul says, I also pray. Okay? Paul has said to them, you're in right relationship with God. You get the presence of God with you all the time. Bringing about revelation to you. Bringing wisdom to you. Teaching you how to live. And then Paul says, I'm also praying that in all of this, that your eyes of your heart, your understanding, be enlightened so that you can know three things. The first is, So you can know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the incomparable great power for us who believe. Three things. I pray that the eyes of your heart can be enlightened so that you can, one, know the hope to which God has called you. Two, that you can know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And three, his incomparably great power 
to us who believe. Now, we're going to take about five minutes to just chew on this for a little bit. And then we're going to be done. Paul said he, hope, he wants them to know the hope to which God has called the Ephesians. We've talked throughout the whole Christmas season, from the beginning of Advent all the way through, about the whole thing of this thing is that Jesus came so that we could have hope. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the admonition, the admonition is, be prepared to give an answer whenever you're asked about the hope that is within you. What hope? What is Paul saying that they should have their eyes of their heart enlightened or opened so that they could know the hope to which God has called them? What is the hope that God is calling us to? Think about it. What is the hope? There's no secret or funny answer. You probably already know it. Just say it out loud and I'll go, yes, that's it. What is the hope that God is calling us to? Eternal life. Hello? Yes. There's a future promise. And, and it's also a past promise, if you will. Okay? When you entered into right relationship with God, whatever age that was, and for the rest of the time that you're on this earth, and then when you get into heaven, there is this hope that you're holding on to. And eventually it will be turned into sight. But for now, the eyes of your heart have to hold on to that hope. It is one of, the, one of the grounding things about who we are as Christians to help us to understand as we face the struggles and the trials and the, the temptations and the doubts that we can hold on and say, I have a lasting hope. And Paul is saying, this is important as you walk this earth, that you walk in that hope always. And I pray that God, the, whole, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, will give you a spiritual understanding directly from himself to you about how important this hope is so that you are effectively able to communicate it to the people you come in contact with. See, it's not just for Christmas and then you pack it up and put it away until, until Advent. It is something you should carry with you every day of the year. I have hope. What do you have hope? Oh, you should know about my hope. This is incredible. Really? Tell me about your hope. Jesus, oh please, put that back in the box until Christmas. No, it's a daily thing for me. The Holy Spirit of God keeps it ever before me. keeps my eyes open to the fact that I have this incredible hope. Let me share it. It's one of the greatest things I've ever come in contact with. Always be prepared to give an answer when asked. Do so with gentleness and respect, but be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lives within you. Number two, Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart can be enlightened to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Haven't a clue. Because what it says to me, and I've read, again, different scholars, and they said, some people think it's talking about inheritance that we receive from him. Others say, no, it's very clearly saying his inheritance as a result of us being in relationship with him. All agree, though, 
that what this is talking about is the time after the coming of Christ when he calls all of us home to be in the presence of God forever and for always. It is, imagine if you will, let's liken it to being grandma at the family reunion and all of your kids have come home and all of your grandkids have come home and all of your great-grandkids have come home and it's Christmas morning and all of the paper wrapping is all over the living room and the kids are noisily playing with all of their new toys and you're just sitting there with your cup of cocoa going, this is glorious. That's the inheritance of the saints that is his. And we receive the benefit of being in that relationship with him. See, I've always thought it was going to be boring in heaven when I was first saved. I truly did. I thought, you know, it'll get boring sitting around on puppy white clouds playing harps and praising Jesus. Or when I read read the fourth chapter of Revelation and the fifth chapter of Revelation, I thought, okay, so I won't be on fluffy white clouds. I'm going to be on this crystalline floor with 10,000 times 10,000. And all we're going to do is 24-7 praise him and every so often wait while the elders throw their crowns at his feet. Boring! After the first day or two. But you see, I don't see heaven like that. What I see heaven as is this, living our day-to-day life without the doubt, without the frustration, without the torment, without the darkness, without the tempter. It is living the way we were originally supposed to live when God created the garden and walked with his people on a daily basis. It says God walked with them in the cool of the evening. What did they do for the rest of the day? They did the work he assigned to them. They named the animals and they harvested the fruit and they did whatever they were supposed to do. And then in the cool of the day, God came and enjoyed their presence. And I think that's what heaven is going to be. Not worshiping on fluffy, puffy clouds, pulling harps, going, praise Jesus. But I truly believe it's going to be just like here, except it'll be perfect. And the cool thing is, we get to enjoy it. It's not just for God. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here, is with the eyes of our understanding, knowing and understanding this inheritance that is his inheritance in the saints. And then finally... That we know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Acts chapter 1. Wait until you have been endued with power from the Holy Spirit. Paul is restating that in different words. I'm praying that God would help you to have your eyes enlightened to the power that is his that he's imparting to you. Why does God give you that power? So that I can make a name for myself. Be healed in Jesus' name. No. No. So I can drive a Cadillac and have $10 million in the bank and I can be... I won't even say those words. I can be prosperous. That's not what this is about. The reason God gives you the power of the Holy Spirit is so that God's kingdom can be advanced and the name of God can be glorified and people can come to know Jesus. 
That's why you have the power of God. And yes, God may very well cause healing in, your, in His name through you. And God literally could cause you to walk on water if it would advance the kingdom of God. And God can multiply fishes and loaves through your hand. And God can, through your voice, cause a mountain to be moved. It says so in the Word of God. But it's all for the specific reason of advancing the kingdom of God and bringing about the salvation of this world and the redemption of this world through Jesus Christ for the glory of the Father. That's why you have the power of God in your life. And the problem is, because we're walking 24-7 in this ugly, nasty, dirty world, we get distracted. And so then we begin to become internalized and go, oh God, I need your power. I need your power to make it through this busy work day. Uh, no, that's not what it's about. But yes, that's a side benefit. I need your presence. I need your power. I need your strength. But the reality was, why are you even here in the first place? Not so you can make that $10 this afternoon. It's so that you can see the kingdom of God advance. I love the ministry that Jesse and Becky are working towards. And every day as they build and strive and continue to build this, this base of financial freedom for themselves, it's not so that they can then live in luxury for the rest of their lives. It's so that they can go out and be evangelists for the kingdom of God. And so everything, every time he pounds a nail and every time she pours into those children, they're doing it for the glory of God. And the same thing happens in your own world. If you keep your eyes open, and that's what Paul's praying about. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will give you such a vision in your understanding to know you have hope, and you have a, an inheritance coming, and you have great power. Incredible great power. The power that raised Christ from the grave is in you, so that my kingdom can be advanced. Now get out there and do something with it. That's what God is saying to us this morning. You have 362 more days before you have to do an accounting again. What do I do with this year? How do I do this year? Well, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit this year and you'll have a wonderful list to look back on. And it's not for your accomplishment or your glory so that you can lay it at the feet of the Father and say, I did it for you, God. I did it for you. All of it. Let people see my life, but see Jesus in it. Let your Holy Spirit just flow through me in such a powerful and mighty and glorious way, God, that people literally fall down on their knees and declare you holy. Declare you God. Declare you King. Don't let me lose sight of that, God. I have my hope. I have my promise and my inheritance. Help me to walk daily in your power. And when it's all said and done, God, what an incredible, glorious time we're going to share. Thank you, God. That's our prayer for this year. That's our goal for this year. That's our resolution for this year. In Jesus' name.